Like I was telling something yesterday, well, congrats, you started with $1,000 and now you have 8,000 and you did that in the space of a year. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 172 of the Chris and Christine Show. Oh, fantastic. How are you doing today? Uh, how, How was your weekend, babe? Well, it's been a busy one. I think that I finally am just getting into relaxation mode. Unfortunately, it's now... 8.30 p.m. on a Sunday night, which is a little late to finally be able to start relaxing. That's the bad thing about weekends when I've worked on a Saturday is I literally only get one day. Uh, One day off, you mean? Yeah, one day of relaxation. Unlike you, Mr. Man over here who only works four days a week and gets three days off every week. Wait a second. Those are hard working four days. Yep, and so are my hard working hey, six I'm not days. Com- I'm not comparing. I'm not saying it's I not. Am. I'm comparing. Well, I do two whole days more of work than you every week. And yet you're the one that's like, oh, I'm so tired all the time. And I'm like, dude, you only work four days a week. Well, it's probably because I'm getting older. I notice when the older you get, the more tired you get more frequently. I had, I took a nap later uh, this afternoon slash early evening. And let me realize something is that I love taking naps. I just hate waking up from them. Like, But I, your naps are not real naps. Your naps are like, you set an alarm for seven minutes and I think it's the dumbest thing on the face of the planet. Like who in the world, who in the world takes a seven minute nap and is like, oh, I feel refreshed. No, it's not the seven minutes. What it is, it's the seven times I hit snooze on that seven minute nap, which adds up to like an hour or so. Okay. So research has been done on that. And it's um, actually, it takes you like 10 minutes to actually get into a deep sleep. And so if you set your, your alarm or your timer or anything on a frequency of like, seven to 10 minutes or seven to nine minutes, you actually wake up more tired because your body hasn't been able to get into that restful sleep yet. So it's basically like teasing your body. So it's what you're doing is actually making yourself more tired. So it would be more beneficial for you to take a single 30 or 40 minute nap versus to take four 10-minute naps interrupted by some type of a timer. That's research proven. I'm going to find the source. Well, you are very smart. You are the doctor in the relationship. I am. And and the house. And I do like your idea of actually taking longer naps. I remember one time, um, this is when I was working, I think, early mornings. Like, I'd be at work at like four in the morning. And I decided one afternoon, I'm going to take a nap, right? You know? And for some reason, I woke up from my nap and it looked like it was morning sunrise, not sunset, because it was like in the afternoon. And so I totally freaked out and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm late for work. Holy crap. Because like it was five in the afternoon, sun setting or whatever, like a summer day or something like that or whatever it was. And <laughs> I was like freaking out. I totally had a panic attack. Thought I was late for work because I took, I took a longer nap than the quickie nap that I normally would do, you know? That's so bizarre. I 
don't know if I've ever really done that. Although that sounds like some really good sleep if you wake up and you felt like you slept all night long. I love a good nap. I speak it to which, yeah, I, I do too. But I think because I'm trying to cram a nap into a short time frame, like, oh, I've got 10 minutes to take a nap. Let me just set my timer for nine minutes and get it done. But then I wake up and I'm like, the thing's buzzing. I'll just hit the repeat feature on the iPhone for the repeat the timer. So I go back. It's like their snooze button for a I nap. know. And that's what I'm telling you. It actually is going to wear you out more than if you just set it to 30 minutes to begin with. I think I took, I think I hit the snooze button about five times this afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, you did. So I, I feel great now, it. though. I feel good now, <laughs> you know. So oh, here we are, babe. I know. And as opposed to me, I'm I'm tired. I've been doing other stuff all day. But I will say, after I got back from work yesterday, um, I dozed off on the couch. And I woke up and I was like drooling. <laughs> it was like a deep nap. That's hot. No, that's hot, you know. <laughs> There's been many times I come from work at like 3 in the morning, 3, 4 in the morning. And I see you on the couch. TV's I never on. stay there that late. It's like one thirty. Whatever it is. I see you on the couch. And I'm like, Hun, uh, you wait up for me? Huh? What? Yeah. Uh, and Clover looks at me like, hey, dad, what's up? <laughs> Mom didn't put me to bed again. <laughs> yeah. Mom left me out here again. You know? <laughs> it's like little kids, like little running around the house feral. <laughs> and they're like supposed to put to bed and they're out playing, you know, eating Skittles and like, you know, Fruit Loops in the middle of the night. <laughs> you better watch it. <laughs> you better watch it over there, mister. You're going to find yourself in a whole world of hurt. I know I do occasionally fall asleep on the couch. Um, it's normally, normally if I've been like doing wedding stuff and I'll have my, um, I have my personal computer that I bring downstairs in the evenings and I'll sit there until the battery's almost dead. And then, oh, listen to me. Hey, Sorry, speak I'm of yawning. Tired. Speak I of know. Naps. And then I'll just like doze off. I am very tired tonight and it's going to be a, it's, so you were asking how I'm doing. It is peak wedding season right now. And we are in the last, you know, month and a half of peak wedding season. And then we go on a break. So I say we, I go on a break. So I have weddings through the end of October and then I don't have another wedding. I have one in December and then I don't have another one until March actually. Wow. So it's like a three or four month break. We did this last year where I took a, like a spring break where it was like, uh, like January, February, March kind of break. But um, yeah, it's actually, it's much needed. And I actually kind of like that pace where, you know, it's like two or three months of super busy and then like springtime, a couple of months of super busy. And then we have our off peak season, which gives our family time to like reset. It gives me time to not be, you know, so busy on the weekends and yeah. So, well, do you yep. think that perhaps maybe when you do think we break it up like that, we have like the section where you're physically doing a lot of the physical wedding stuff and you have the downtime. You're not doing that part of stuff, but you're doing more of like the planning. Yeah, the planning and the organizing and the getting the, the brides happy and figuring out their mood boards and what colors they want and all that great stuff. Uh, yeah, that that's pretty accurate about what happens during that time because – you know, it's not, it means that I'm not out at the venues on the weekends, but it does mean that I'm holding a lot of my planning meetings. And so you are right that it is around like a, a year round kind of business. And so 
that's how we're able to make it a sustainable business model is because I have clients that book me 12 or 18 months in advance. And so then like their payments for wedding planning are kind of broken up because it's progressive work. So for example, um, I have a couple of clients that are getting married in um, June and August. And so especially like after I get through my weddings, like now in October, then if you think November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. So it's like eight month countdown. So, you know, once we start getting in that six to eight month countdown, then we're doing a lot of planning activities where it's like, finalizing guest lists, getting drafts of their invitations, working with caterers, starting to work on floor plan and all of the logistics and all of those little things. And so it is a little bit tough right now when I do have a couple of clients that were wrapping up uh, their planning contracts right now in the midst of peak floral season oh, two. Right. Yeah. So like today... I had a timeline that I was finishing up. I had um, actually two timelines because I have back-to-back weddings one weekend. Um, So two timelines I was finishing up, a seating chart that I was getting back to a client on communicating with two separate caterers, and then also getting out a floral proposal for a March bride. Wow, look at you. following up on uh, another June bride. So it's just like, It's kind of a crazy time of year on top of just like the regular pace, but I got to go help my friend Molly out with her business yesterday. So I didn't have my own wedding. So Molly actually does her own wedding planning or floral stuff for weddings. Florals, yeah. Just just florals, nothing else? Yeah. Molly Zager Floral Design. Okay, great. So she's helped you out a few times with your stuff. So you you go out and help her out. That's great that you guys work together like that. Now, um, did did she tip you or pay you out to go out and do that, or did you volunteer your time? Well, we're, I was freelancing, so it's an hourly rate. But yeah, oh, okay. that's what we do for each other. Is you know, you like pay out for an hourly rate, and then um, she had two weddings yesterday, so she and one other gal were setting up at a different wedding, and she sent me and another gal um, down to the other one to set up. She'd done everything in advance, and so. Uh, yeah, so it was great. I mean, it wasn't a super, super long day, but it was tiring because it's been so hot down here. Oh my goodness. You know, it's funny. We had that last, if you remember the last episode, we're talking about the hurricane, hurricane Hillary, Hurricane Hillary, which made it really cool and calm and kind of tropical ish down here a little bit, you know, but, uh, we are back to the desert, desert, <laughs> desert heat here. Uh, it was funny. I went in my truck the other day and I took a picture of it. I, I didn't think it was accurate because it said on the thermometer on the truck, that was 108 degrees outside. Nah. But I think what happens is because the truck was sitting in the sun and the thermometer or whatever in the truck is in, under the hood, which probably collects heat too. So it's probably, it's probably closer to 100, mm-hmm. 102, but still 102 is pretty hot, you know, mm-hmm. I would think too. So it's, it's getting pretty warm out here. I know that this time of year, as we are now into September, it's probably at least early September. It's probably the hottest time of the year here. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I do have one thing, well, two things that I did want to share that have been kind of exciting happening in my life. Oh, some good news. What you got, babe? Well, the first one is, and it's that they're both related to our wedding business. So the first one is this week we officially released 
I officially released my first ever ebook. Whoa, congratulations. <laughs> That's know. amazing. I'm a published author. Thank you so Look much. Look at that. Who published you? Uh, myself. <laughs> there you go. Hey, that's the best publisher there yeah. is. So I wrote a book and it's the Bride's Ultimate Guide to Wedding Planning, How to Plan Your Wedding your or Your Dream Wedding Without Breaking the Bank. And wow. so the, the idea behind it is to take all of these years of expertise that I have and put it in the hands of couples that are in the midst of wedding planning. And it's eight chapters, very easy to consume. It's about 60 pages, but it's all like super practical stuff and with downloadable resources. And it's $9.99. It's like 10 bucks. What a deal. Yeah. And you can find it at christinesmithdesigns.myshopify.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes of this episode. Look down. It'll be right there for you right there. First thing on the list will be Christine's book. The other thing. Wait, there's more? Yes, but wait, there's more. Um, I also created, um, I call it the Wedded Bliss Toolkit. And so... What that is for $4.99, if you're an engaged couple that's in the midst of wedding planning, you're getting ready to meet with all of these different vendors like a caterer, wedding venue, hair and makeup artist, photo and video. Uh, I get questions all the time from my clients like, oh, do you, what questions should I ask or is there anything that I should be um, remembering to bring up during my conversation. And so over the years, I've been, you know, oh, well, don't forget this, don't forget this. And it's like, well, what if I just created a list of essential questions to ask each of these vendors to make sure that couples are really clear on, you know, different types of rules and regulations or contract provisions for each of these different vendors? So, the Wedded Bliss Toolkit is its six sets of essential questions for different vendor categories to ask before signing a contract. So um, included is a list of questions for wedding venues when you're interviewing them and finding oh, out. Like, like the time you asked the, that couple about the venue they got where he said about the music and they couldn't have like no more than like a boombox speaker on their pool deck past like 9 p.m. Or right, but like- they didn't know to ask that before they, when they went right. to go tour. So, you know, the venue is like, oh yes, we love to have, um, we love to have weddings here. Well, on my list of essential questions is, are there any noise ordinances for your property that would restrict us from being able to have either a live musician, a DJ, or do we have to shut the music off at a certain time of night? So that's right. one question that a couple might not think to ask. Another one is like, are there any hidden fees like cleanup fees and things like that? Another one would be, is there a specific list of vendors that we have to work with if we book your property? What was that place in La Jolla that was really picky? There was right. a couple places. I don't remember which one it was exactly, but there's a few places. They're very selective with yeah. their vendors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. yeah, different ones are. And so when you're an engaged couple and you go and you fall in love with a place, it can be so easy to get caught up in the emotion that you don't ask these really important questions. Of course, of course. It's like when you buy a car and like you're so excited about the new car right. that you don't look at all the fine print like my Z. I realized after looking at the paperwork afterwards, I got screwed on the, on the warranty, right? It was, I bought extra warranty. I bought, it was like in the paperwork, there was uh, like dealership services fees. It, was, yes. it wasn't related to like, the actual service contract. It wasn't related to the warranty. It was like their salesman's commission or some right. goofy thing twice on there because two guys talked to me. Right. 
So things like that, this is like to help couples have those questions. And the nice thing is because they're downloadable, you can save them as images onto your phone. And so a couple can just go through those questions quickly and make sure that they ask all of them that they feel are relevant. And so they know, like it puts their mind at ease. So the same thing like with a caterer, you can ask them the questions around like, what does your service charge that's included in the contract cover? Does it include gratuity? Because what ends up happening is couples will go and they'll look at like six different catering contracts. One company includes their gratuity as part of their bottom line and one doesn't. And so you you look at this and you're like, oh, well, this contract over here is $2,000 more expensive. But when it comes down to it, it's just because they've already tipped their people, whereas you're going to have to come up with the cash on the other one. And so right. people don't know to ask those things and you wouldn't unless you're in and around this all the time. So for $4.99, people can download $5. that. $5. Less than $5. It's a $5 dollar cost meal. of a latte. It's like a five below. I know, right? Because she has her own five below store. But I'm really excited because I've been thinking about like, I'm only one person and I, while I work with my couples and I write, like to give them a really lovely wedding planning experience, there are so many other couples that for whatever reason, maybe they can't afford a wedding planner or they're not in a position to bring one on, or maybe they just want to have a coordinator and they want to DIY a lot of this stuff themselves. Why shouldn't I, with for a very small price tag, put this really great set of tools and knowledge in their hands to help more couples be stress-free for wedding planning? They always say you pay for things with time or money. Right. and if you have a little bit of money, you're talking, you know, $15 worth of money, um, Christine can give you the tools you need to get the job done to save you time. Absolutely. And on the horizon, I mean, this, it would probably not be coming out until my slow season. I'm pretty sure we're going to be looking at probably into the new year. I'm thinking of launching um, a wedding planning academy for people that are interested in becoming no wedding way. planners. Yeah. Look at you. Well, so you are you an are e-course, but you are you are a professor. I mean, you can be a professor because you are a doctorate, right? So you I mean, yeah, but I'm not gonna like give college credits. But I am a teacher by training, and so it would make sense. It does make sense for me to start figuring out how to create some educational courses for people that are wanting to enter into whether it's becoming a floral designer or a wedding planner. Why wouldn't I put together a course that people could learn? Look and at you. Be able to like. Go out and do it on their own, right? Well, Christine Smith Designs has taken over the world. I know. It's amazing. I'm so proud of you, babe. I Thank really you. I'm really am excited for all these new things. I try work working on a book of myself. You I know? know. You got yours almost done too. Well, I'm working on, you know, I'm I'm still working on the formatting is always the hardest part for me because I get it all written down, but then it's like moving into one platform to another platform and trying to make it look pretty and all that stuff and What's a PDF? I don't know. You know, that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, I, if it's audio, I can I can knock it out. Which reminds me, are you thinking maybe putting out an audio version of your book, babe? Um, I wasn't because I don't have it recorded on Audible. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We what, have the gear and the technology to do that. I don't know. <sighs> I would rather just stick with the digital downloads. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, well, let people it, it study be. on their own. 
But I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I mean, it's up to you. You don't have to do it. You don't have to. I don't want to. Okay, you don't want to. But I'm just thinking that like, we already have the gear. You can record it and like put it as an MP3. It could be a digital nope. download. Same concept, but no, in a, an audio form. Okay, okay. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I try. Thank you for offering. You're welcome. Uh, but, you know, going back to your audio book. So it really, we, you and I have been having conversations around like, planning for the future and how do we set ourselves up for success and like looking at alternative forms of, of income that we can bring into our family to, you know, increase just our financial stability. And I was really excited. Like we launched the book. I've already sold like 10 copies of it, which is very exciting. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but you know, Wait, 10 copies, maybe, maybe only five. I don't know. Well, by the time I think it's released, it's going to be like 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> but we're I'm just- talking to you listening right now. You better buy a book. Better buy, buy Christine's book. <laughs> Have you bought a book? I, I, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to, how to download uh-huh, anything. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know where the button is. Yeah, I, um, sure. I got mm-hmm. locked out of my phone. Yeah, sure. What's funny is I sent a link to my sisters and they bought it immediately. Well, look at that. And then I sent a link to my mom and she's like, the cover art is really cute because I sent her the image. Right, yeah. And then I sent you the link and you posted it everywhere, but you didn't even buy my book. Yeah, I work at a marketing baby. That's my job. Marketing yeah, you should, buy a, you should buy a copy and support I, I will. Me. I will buy a copy right now. Thank you. Yes. Well, okay. So I've taken up like the majority of our intro of our, our little banter, but I do want to hear what's been going on with you. I know you said you started writing this book, but what else has been new in your life? Well, what's new is that I have been working on getting client interviews for my podcasting, podcastic audio, podcast design services. What you call it, I guess, like that. But, but <laughs> it's very convoluted. You've been looking, trying to get interviews, like you're trying to. I had a few cl- meeting with new clients. Yeah, I met with a few, few clients, but for some reason, I'm having a hard time like closing the deal. You know, like I meet with them, I talk, you know, like great stuff. But the last client I had on, like she didn't even ask about the pricing at all. We just talked. I just basically had to go over what's a podcast, like from the basics, like how it all works, kind of explain that kind of stuff because she didn't really know. And then I even told her that like. Like to kind of like sweeten the deal at the very end, closing the conversation. I said like, hey, you know what? I only can take on a slow, small amount of people. So I'm just giving you the heads up here. You know, if you want to jump in, jump in. But I wasn't really, you know, pushy or anything like that. I was just saying that like, I mean, I can only take on a small handful of people. Mm-hmm. So I can't take on everybody. So if you want in, I will do everything for you. It, what I did tell her was she did get excited when I told her I would create the artwork for her. And she's like, oh, really? So I think for some reason – when people think of all the details going into creating a podcast, they get kind of overwhelmed by it all. So mm-hmm. I do try to uh, you know, take that off their hands from, mm-hmm. and also I even told her, I didn't even give you a microphone. I'll mm-hmm. ship it straight to your house. If, if you sign a contract and not give a microphones out, I'm not Oprah Winfrey here. Yeah. Not, I out to everybody. You get a microphone, you get a microphone. <laughs> so anybody who signs up with me for a contract, I will ship out a microphone brand new straight to your house, you know, uh, f- free delivery and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll sweeten the deal. But like I said, there's got to be a cap on how many clients I physically can take because there's only so many hours in the day. And right. I'm, just, I'm just one man team here, you know? Right. Totally. Well, I'm proud of you. And I know that you've been cold calling and reaching out and taking these different client meetings. And, you know, I, it's just every small business grows in different ways. And I know that there's a community that really needs your services 
So you're all listening right now. So hey, you podcasters out there, or wannabe podcasters, or wannabes, yeah, wannabes, think of thinking of bees. Uh, If you're out there and you're thinking about starting a podcast, Chris is really great really great expertise and he'll guide you through the process. And so I know you have your, your podcast production services, but I was wondering, I mean, you have podcastic audio, which is a free piece, like a free way of giving advice, but have you ever thought of doing like an e-course that people can study and like learn from you about like the ins and outs of launching your podcast? I have, I have thought about that. It all takes that one thing that we all have very limited time of time itself. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Mr. I work four days a week. Okay. Uh, 400 if days I a week. Can, if I can do all of this and work six days a week, honey, you we can figure out a way for you to get some of this okay, stuff Okay, okay. Well, I'm working on it. You no know? excuses. I have vacation time. I'll use it, you know, wisely. You have daytime. You can use that wisely uh, too. I know, I know, I know. You can do this. I believe in you. I feel like, you know, we're at this tipping point where there's so many good things that are in and around us that we just got to like grab hold of them and we're going to just like launch into our future together. You know, speaking of uh, launching futures and uh, grabbing hold of things, getting exciting and all that stuff, not there, but I'm saying is that like, I just saw on social media today that these two YouTuber kids, I don't know who they are. Oh yeah, I saw that. They somehow earned $71 million in one year and they're nine and like seven years old. That's so crazy. And here we are. What are we doing with our lives? You know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think, I mean, look at how there's successes defined in so many different ways. Look at how we've grown since we even met. Like look at where, if you think of where our lives were five and a half years ago, uh, separately, and you look at where we've come together. I mean, it really is remarkable. I didn't I didn't know where my life was headed. I mean, of course I was working and I was just starting my doctorate in USC when you and I like I got accepted like right after our first date. It's and because I'm good luck baby. Yes, you are. So I didn't even have my doctorate at that point. You were working overtime every single week. And like, we've brought you home from having to work overtime. We have this like booming business. We have multiple thriving podcasts and a radio station. We moved into our dream house. We have now started to travel. And I don't say all of this to like brag or anything. I say this to remind people that you can change your circumstances when you're like thoughtful and intentional about the way that you want to like grow grow your stability financially and i think that you know coming up with the guest that we have on is going to be talking with us a lot about that and it's something that you and i i don't know we're different maybe maybe other couples do this i don't know but from the very beginning from like our first couple of dates, we've always talked about finances. And I don't know if that's weird or not, but it's just like where we're at. Well, if you think about money, finances and money in general is really like the foundation to any any family or any relationship to really build off of. Because without, I know this might sound like a superficial thing, but without it, you can't 
buy a house. You can't, you can't buy groceries. You can't, can't provide for your family all the way. Right. You can't provide for your family. You can't have a car to get you, take your kids to school. You, I mean, everything revolves around finances. And if you, it's always, it blows my mind how some couples will get in a relationship and never know what the other one makes for a living. Mm-hmm. They just assume that, oh, well, they'll take care of this. We'll take care of that. But they have no idea. It's crazy, but. Right. I, and we've set like different financial goals for ourselves and you know, we've been working on getting ourselves set up with our retirement. Um, we always, you know, are very open with talking through like our bills and if something goes on a credit card, what our plan is for like paying it off. And, you know, like, especially right after vacation, sometimes things get a little bit out of balance and it's like, okay, recalibrate. What do we need to do? Um, and then even we just do like little checks for ourselves, like little tune-ups. I even told you like, I was feeling a little bit like my monthly paycheck. I wasn't super aware of where everything was going and it seemed like it was just going away a little bit too fast. And so I just said to you like in full transparency, hey, I just need to to monitor myself for a couple of months. I downloaded this um, this finance app that I'm using that where I'm not going to necessarily say what it is yet because I'm still testing it out and I don't know if I'm quite sold on it yet. Of course, yeah. But... I'm logging all of my expenses, like all of my expenses so that I know where every penny goes. And what I've noticed is like it slowed down my spending because I have to write it down. Oh, wow. I'm making myself accountable for it. So it was like, it was so funny. I have to tell you this before we say who our next, uh, what's coming up next is the other night I was sitting here at home and I was like, oh, well, actually I was driving home from a meeting. I was like, I don't really feel like cooking what is it that I want to do? Maybe I'll just like go through the um, taco shop and pick up like a bean burrito on my way home. I was like, you're going to have to write that down, Christine. You're going to have to put that in your app that you went out to dinner and Chris just went grocery shopping and he got all of the food that you asked him for. There's no reason why you can't just go home and make yourself a pastrami sandwich or your mac and cheese or I listed them to myself or microwave your frozen ramen bowl or your orange chicken. Like I was listing like the different things and I was like, okay, go home and get yourself something to eat from home. Don't be lazy. There you go. Yeah. And I was like, oh. and then I came home and I did it and I felt better because I didn't like waste my money on something that I knew I didn't necessarily need to. That's great. And then I saved that money up to be able to like go towards us going out to dinner tonight. So all that to say, I think that talking about finances is really important for couples. And I'm really excited about the guest that we have coming up next. He's a really great guest. Talk all about finances and all about your money. Be back with him right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest coming to us all the way from the land up north, Canada. Welcome to the show, Max Becker Paws. Thank you for having me here. Pleasure to join. 
Hey, Max. Hey, how is things up in Canada? Canada, well, you know, we still have the igloos. So, um, <laughs> at this time of year, huh? Middle of summer. <laughs> you know how far north we are. Um, actually, well, let's see. Vancouver, a few hours from Seattle. So, I call my little LA north down here because I head to the beach every day, go for a swim. So, there's even palm trees by the beach. I can imagine that I'm down south for a couple months. Oh, nice. that's amazing. I didn't realize that it's so warm. I, guess, I think that people have a misconception about Canada because they think of it as, um, you know, what you, they see on Hallmark Channel movies. Or, that's what you see on Hallmark well, Channel movies. Well, I do, movies. right. Where it's, you know, frozen, like more like Alaska. But what is the landscape of Canada like? Because I know that the country is very large. Yeah, well, most people do live pretty close to the border, which just makes sense economically and, and weather-wise, it's a little warmer. And over here, uh, you know, there's a lot of snow in Canada, but we don't get much of that in Vancouver at all. We're pretty much like, yeah, Seattle, Alaska, you go all the way up, it's pretty uh, pretty temperate, as they say. So we get a lot of rain. Um, if you are dating yourselves again, if you go back to the X-Files... <laughs> So, so David Duchovny did not want to uh, film here anymore because he said it rained too much. Oh. And he had that kind of pole where he can like make move the whole entire studio? I think he did, yeah. Oh, wow. wow. Well, Max, have you lived in Canada your entire life? Except for 12 years in Korea and Japan. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a, that's a little different, you know? It's a <laughs> different, different uh, dollar they use over there too. They use the yen. What do you guys use in Canada, by the way? We use uh, the funny money. It's called the monopoly money. Oh, perfect! Is it really? Yeah, I know. When I when I do transfer, I do send some money up to Canada. You know, I got to help help the cause out, and I <laughs> um, I do notice that uh, it uh, transfers on my PayPal to some weird different. Don't it goes higher? It's like my dollar becomes two or one and a half uh, Canadian dollars or something goofy. Oh, exchange rate is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely makes sense. Exactly, your money always stretches a little further down here. Oh, that's awesome. Well, so you mentioned living in Korea and Japan for 12 years. What took you overseas? Well, as uh, young guys sometimes do, I followed a lady from Vancouver to Korea, and she'd been here studying English. And that didn't work out, uh, but I didn't meet my wife in Korea. She was she is Japanese, so we um, met up because we were both students in Korea at that time. Then we ended up getting hitched had uh, got married, had babies, then moved to Japan to be closer to her parents because we had twins for our first kids and that was a double handful. Right. Yeah. And then um, then I do have another story about how I ended up back in Canada. Um, and those years were really formative for me. Living in a different country. I don't know if you've done that. Um, have you done that before? I've not lived in another country. I am a frequent international traveler and I love being in different cultures, but I think there's something different between tourism and habitation. So what was your experience like living overseas? Yeah, traveling as you experienced of all kinds is always great. I think you just get a lot more depth to it. You pick up a lot more nuances and you start to see the way people think when you live, live abroad. And you know, sometimes it's really deep seated. Uh, I guess we could get technical, but well, I'll give you just some, some of the things that are, are hardest to accept are the things that, um, that don't matter in other countries. For example, it's quite rude in Japan. If, um, 
the serving person would come to your table at the restaurant and clear away your dishes because that makes guests feel like they have to leave or hurry up. Oh. But over here, it's kind of de rigueur, like you're expected to come by and, and ask when the guest's mouth is full of food how it tastes and then clear the, the dishes away. So different expectations are hard to get used to. And then in Japan, nobody will hold the door for you because it's just not, not because it's, they're being rude, but it's not part of their consciousness. Oh, so like, so if I was to go on a date with a gentleman, like I would not expect him to open the door for me? Uh, more like if you were to walk into a shop and another person was exiting, they wouldn't hold the door for you. Oh, that's interesting. I always do that, babe. You know, I hold the door for everybody that walks by. I don't care who they are. Like, I'll wait for somebody you to, get, to get to the door. I'd be sitting there holding it. Like, hey. And at one point, I'd be holding like, today already. I'm holding this thing for you. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> hey, Chris, do you ask for change when you're doing that? <laughs> like like you're begging? Oh, no. No. Come on now. You know. No, that but they do give one. me some tips at times at the time, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, button up your shirt. Like that kind of tip. Whatever. <laughs> well, that's interesting <laughs> that you notice those differences. I've heard from, uh, I had exchange students in my household when I was growing up as a, a young person. We hosted people, uh, teens from lots of different countries. And I would learn about, you know, different uh, different customs and practices and things that were expected or not expected. And you know, things as simple as at certain restaurant or in certain countries at restaurants, not tipping, like it's considered rude or, you know, not taking leftovers home at the end of a meal because it's considered rude. Things that are mind blowing to me that are mm -hmm. part of our American culture that you just don't even think of. But I do have a question about living in Japan. Do people sure. truly consume rice at almost every meal? Traditionally, it's kind of like their staple and their their livelihood. So, um, but uh, yeah, so traditionally, it's like their main carb. Like for us, it would be bread or pasta. So I would say back in the day, they would have, but now they eat quite a lot more bread and uh, start to eat more pasta. And the rice growers kind of bemoan that fact and say, hey, they're <laughs> not eating as much rice as they used to, <laughs> these young people. So... Then how did you make your way back to the United States from Japan? Yeah, great question. Well, I'll tell you what, um, if you know anything about, well, you're in California, so you've seen the real estate boom. Right. Uh, yeah, over the last 20, 30 years. And um, back in 94, I did want to buy a condo in downtown Vancouver, which has just skyrocketed. We have now like some of the most expensive rents in the world. And my dad said that was crazy. Um, so, you know, I never really learned about investing. And that would have obviously have been a great idea to to buy a condo here 30 years ago. My parents were really hardworking people and disciplined and devoted, and they gave me a really good life. Um, and they knew how to make money, work hard and save money, but they didn't know how to invest. So I, I never really knew about investing. And then if you remember the 20, 2008 crash, mm -hmm. around that time, I kind of got into stocks and playing around with that. And said, you know, hey, I want to do this full time. So what I had done in Japan was teaching English. So now I really segued to teaching finance. So I worked for a big bank in Canada for about eight years. And that was great. That was really formative in terms of learning the industry, meeting all kinds of cool people and learning about finances. 
I did find at the end of the day that being a big bank, they're just focused on transactions and products. And I really wanted to run it differently and wanted to put my clients first because well, you run your own business and you know yourselves that people are at the foundation of everything. So I really wanted to put people first and right. understand, um, yeah, understand my clients and build those long-term relationships. And, and if there is a product that I can help you with, I will introduce that to you, but it's not the end all be all. It's more, who are you? What are you about? And, and what do you want to achieve? And that, that's what I've been doing the last four years. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So growing up with parents that weren't maybe as savvy when it comes to investing, uh, how did you start to change that for yourself in your own life? I would say it started with this thing called Google and just learning all about stocks and trading and investing. And I think a lot of young people do that too now. They, they like to get on the internet and um, explore that way. So that with um, all the changes in technology, you know, it became possible to start trading all your stocks. Um, your younger listeners might not know that, you know, 40 years ago, you needed to call a broker to buy or sell a stock. And that was a person right. that would place your trades for you, right? So right, but, but in, two, it, in 2008, 2009, didn't everything kind of fall down, like crash around that time? Like the stocks were like really low and, and some a lot of companies went out of business, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was pretty tumultuous time. Yeah, a lot of stocks uh, bottomed out. Yeah, I remember. So back in college, I around the year like 2000, I worked for Morgan Stanley Dean Witter as a file clerk with, and I had um, brokers that I worked for. And so they would get there, you know, at the crack of dawn when the markets opened like super early. And then we had I think it was like, I don't know if it was like Wolf of Wall Street or whatever that the <laughs> movie was where they actually have the pin in the center of the floor where you're like pulling, like the papers are going in and out regarding the the stocks and the trades and things like that. And, you know, after the market crashed, I think we saw a lot of that go away and it became something that, I mean, people started doing on their own, but it's not talked about as much. So... I don't even know, and I feel so dumb. I was an econ minor. I feel so dumb saying this right now. I don't even know how people go about like stocks and trading and things like that anymore. Do you just go onto one of those websites that's like etrade.com and just give them all your money? You go ahead, yeah, exactly. Deposit money and then start to decide what stocks you want to buy and sell. And so how do people know what's a worthy investment and and where to put their money and and when to pull things out. I, I mean, it seems like it could be so complicated for the traditional middle-class, middle-income family that's just trying to figure out how to save up for college for their family. Yeah, the truth is most people don't know because um, you might get wins for a while or you might be one of those exceptional people who can make gains year after year, but it's really hard to know not only what stocks to buy, but also when to sell them because buying is the easy part. And mm, you know, truth yeah. be told, what I often tell my clients, if it were easy to make money in the market, then we'd all be quitting our day jobs and that's what we'd be doing. Um, it's not easy and there's big fish who are swimming in the pond with you, all the large institutions that 
they're trading in ahead of you and using your data to to work against you. Um, no. Yeah. Man. So then you stepped into this space, you started to learn on your own and you were working for a bank and then made this decision that you wanted to start working with regular people <laughs> for lack of better <laughs> terms. So what was that transition like for you? Is it like all of a sudden you branch out on your own and now you have a million clients and you're rolling in the dough or what, what was it like for you building your business? I was kind of traumatic in the beginning because I, I fell out with the bank and we had a big difference of opinion. So I basically just kind of up and left. Yeah, I don't think corporate fit me anymore. It was just in a, in a nutshell. Um, you know, fortunately, I had a great network, so I was able to build my client base pretty quickly. And um, it took me a while to, to get a process to, to figure out how I wanted to run it. I think you probably experienced that as entrepreneurs and it takes a while to, to build that process. Right. And now really, I just consider my clients as family. So, you know, I want to be, I'm available for my clients. If they need to get a hold of me, they can text me. You know, they don't have to go through a 1-800 number or a chat bot. Um, I like That's to great. send them. That's great, man. Because I, I know yeah. that like, like you can't get that from a Bank of America or whatever bank you guys have. <laughs> right. Or whatever, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like I said, they give you that chat bot thing, which is getting better because with, you know, advances in, you know, AI technology, it's getting pretty good. But um, you ask it the wrong question. It's like, do not understand. Do not understand. <laughs> you get that loop over and over again. You're like, oh, just give me, or like, just hit the button on the on the phone. You're like, give me the operator. Give me the operator. Right. What a human. <laughs> well, that's great, man. So you've been in that field for several years now. And um, what are the services you offer to your clients? What we offer is co-creating your future together. And that, Usually people come to me with a certain kind of pain point or problem. And actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned investing because you know how when you walk into the supermarket and there's 51 kinds of cereal? Right. Mm -hmm. And probably you just want something healthy and whole grain for yourself, maybe, maybe something sugary for the kids and maybe an organic option, right? You don't need 51 options. Right. Unless you're just Chris, like, he buys like 75 boxes of cereal. I only every get the one, I, but I only get the ones that are on sale. Yeah, see, so smart, that's smart, your, smart investing. That's right your there. criteria. Okay, but yeah, we're we're <laughs> we're tracking with you, Max. Awesome. Well, I take that analogy and apply it to the world of investing because there's a lot of talking heads out there on TikTok or any kind of social media program telling you what to buy and, and when you have to buy it and what stocks are good to buy. People feel really overwhelmed, like we're swimming in a, a sea of information and people need options, right? It's kind of like, yeah, just what I would do is I'll understand you and what you want to achieve, whether you're low risk, medium risk, high risk, how long you want to build your money, what you want to do with your money. Do you want to buy a home? Do you want to travel a lot? And then I can help you create and craft that portfolio. Um, so I would give people like, three or four options versus 51. Mm -hmm. And that's really helpful because when you have people like me and Chris that are super busy and know we want to get started with something, but don't quite know where to start, it's helpful to have a professional to give you some tips because otherwise what I feel like ends up happening is the idea of investing or building generational wealth is something 
stops at just being talked about because you get decision fatigue or overwhelm. And then next thing you know, you look up from the couch and you're 80 years old and you never started that investment plan. And so then you're exactly at the same point where you started. And I feel like, especially for people like us that are in our, you know, 40 something range, um, Chris normally, he chimes in and normally says, what? You're giving away our- I thought I was 25. I know you are. (laughs) But people that are in this range, like, so it's, it's interesting we're having this conversation. So little window into my world. So last night, Max, Chris works nights. So here I am sitting on the couch and, um, I was thinking about estate planning because I'm like, okay, we're in our 40s. We have one kid that just went to college. We have other kids that are still school age. Heaven forbid something was to happen to Chris and I. What happens with these assets that we have started to build up because we have started to engage in some investing? We have a house. We have all of these things. And then I started to think about, well, that's great that we need to build like a living trust or something. But what about when the two of us are kid free in like eight years when the last one graduates, how do we have money to be able to travel the world? Like we don't want to be so strapped financially that we're living paycheck to paycheck and having to wait till we're 70 to retire. And so it's like at some point you look up already and I'm feeling like we're so far behind I Why? think everybody feels that way, though. You think so? Yeah, I, I well, it's my in my line of work in like the blue collar type of jobs for the most part that I've ran in circles I ran into. People are just working until they physically can't work, and then and then when they do retire, it's like second job or um, you know something like that just to kind of keep things going because Social Security isn't enough to live off of, and so on and so forth. And I don't want that to be my lifestyle. I want to be able to travel the world, so. Where does a couple like us with, you know, still youngish kids get started with thinking about the future? We have to be ready, first of all, to take that next step. I think that would be the main thing. And you talked about decision fatigue. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of people who just kind of need that first step or or need to take that that first step across the metaphorical um, chasm or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. analogy you prefer. I mean, um, recently I met a lady who she's been bartending like uh, sixteen years, and at the hotel they have a pension mm-hmm. pension plan where you put in five dollars and the company will match. So that's uh, sorry, you put in a hundred dollars and the company will match that with a, a five dollar contribution, so a five percent match, which okay is pretty darn good, right? Um, to be able to get that kind of match. And then she hadn't taken advantage of that for 16 years. <gasps> so, and she was so, so ashamed, like, I wish I had, you know, been u- taking some of this free money and getting it to work for me because she has a daughter too. And, then, and she wants to create a good life for her kid. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, people just get into that, that kind of feeling that they, it's too late to make a change and they, they haven't made a change. And they're never going to. Fortunately, she was able to start turning around and, and get that money to start working for her. So, I mean, that's, a, yeah, that's a sort of a, a kind of way we would preface it. So it, more for a couple like yourselves, you'd want to be on the same page as to be open to learning and 
finding out about yourselves and, and creating your future, like envisioning it together. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, with that, then how do you want your future to look? And what are the steps? Sorry, I'm just kind of, I got a lot of thoughts kind of, kind That's of okay. r- running at me. Yeah. It happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. It would also be taking a deep dive into your current situation. Like, where are you now? Like, what does your debt situation look like? What is your of cash course. situation? Yeah. How much are you, are you negative every month? Are you positive every month? Yeah. And yeah, yeah really drilling down into those values and, and finding out what kind of future you want to create for yourselves. And then using that to create a roadmap for your future financial plan and they're kind of helping you allocate your money into the right places. I hope that that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so follow-up question for you, Max. When we think about this process of getting started, because it can feel so overwhelming and sometimes people feel like, well, I need to save up X amount of dollars to be able to get started. Um, Is it a a big buy-in to get started with a some type of investment plan or could it be as small as i mean not necessarily 5 or 10 dollars a month but you know could could a family start off on the low side 25 50 100 dollars a month on something that is going to build towards a little nest egg in the future absolutely and i do work with that kind of people because um for me it's not important how much money you have. It's important that you have a mindset of growth, of uh, self-improvement, of learning, and being open to change. Because just imagine your parents had put $100 away every month when you were born and what that would have been by the time you were 25. And the interest rate on that would be quite a lot, I would think, too. Well, just depending because, you know, there's building that understanding of there's a difference of putting $100 in a regular bank account with a very small interest rate from the time your child is born versus putting it into something that a financial advisor or financial planner is helping you manage. And, you know, maybe it's a higher risk. It has, you know, longer term, bigger payoffs. I mean, that's a huge difference. I was, there's this gal that I watch, I'm not going to say who she is on Instagram, but uh, she always is talking about building generational wealth for your children. And she gives Mm -hmm. a scenario of like, if when your child is born, like be like Beyonce and Jay-Z who put their kids literally on the payroll of their business from the time they were like two years old. But you can do that? Yeah, you can legally like, so one of their babies was in one of their music videos and was an employee. So they were paid. Got it. And then they put that into a specific type of a fund and continue contributing in that fund. And it's like how to make your kid a millionaire by the time they're 40 is like what the her thing is. And I was thinking about that, like, goodness, I could, because I did contribute for my son to a bank account every month from when he was born. And I was excited when he was 18 to be like, you know, look at these thousands of dollars that I've saved for you. And then I was like, what if I would have put that into something that had growth a growth factor to it. So you put it in like a regular box, like a regular bank account with no yeah, growth it, at all? Nothing? Well, just a regular, I mean, don't judge me. I'm not I judging. put money I'm, away. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm <laughs> saying like, what's the difference between that and putting it under your mattress? <laughs> well, I didn't touch it when it was <laughs> under my mattress. I would have. But, you know, you, once you learn better or learn more, you do better. And so I'm thinking, well, we have two other littler ones 
could I do something different for them that would benefit them more? I think that's a great realization. And um, actually, if some of your listeners could get value out of this today, I think um, if there's anyone on the fence that, you know, I never really saved up much, but I'm ready to start putting away one or 200 a month, but uh, I feel ashamed to start talking to someone about that, then just, you know, meet with a advisor or banker or someone who is approachable and willing to to help you with that conversation. Because there's a lot of people that um, who kind of ignore my initial phone call when I'm reaching out to them. or mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, what was the reason, you know, you you weren't contacting me in the beginning or I didn't get a, I couldn't get a holy engine. They said they didn't think they had enough money to work with me. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause I think about the listener right now that, you know, maybe they're over 40, maybe finances aren't flowing as freely as they would like. And who knows, maybe they even do have a mountain of debt that they're sitting under And there's some shame of, you know, I can't think about the future until I pay off what's in front of me right now. What would you say to that listener who just feels like they can never get a leg up financially? I think you need to get out of that fear, that fear space and get more into the opportunity space. So as humans, we're either expanding or contracting. And you know, when we're in fear state, we don't see any hope or optimism. Like during COVID, everyone was just kind of, hunker down into their own shelter. Whereas when you're in that sage, when you're in that, that hopeful state, that optimistic state, you know, you feel like anything's possible. So people need to have hope. Um, I try to give people hope and, and, and let them feel they can turn their ship around. Mm. Um, And that's also, you mentioned a self-limiting belief is I'll get this done when X, Y, Z is done, but life might not work that way. I mean, some people tend to always be in debt. Maybe you can start putting a hundred bucks a month away into a separate bucket. And once it's there, you might not even touch it. All the while you'll be paying down your debt too, but um, at least you started something for yourself. So I recognize that in myself, like, oh, I can do this when I've done ABC, but that becomes a a someday it never happens kind of thing. So right. we need to take action at the same time and and get things going. And from reading a bit about you, Max, I was studying up on you, reading your bio on your website and your business, uh, you refer to it as abundance wealth community. And so in reading about this abundance mindset, it seems like it aligns with that is getting out of those self-limiting beliefs. Can you talk to our, our listeners a little bit about what an abundance mindset is? Sure. We'll actually talk about the three words in my company's name. So abundance versus scarcity, right? There's, you either believe there's more than enough for everyone, or you believe that there's not enough for everyone. And in this world of ours, do you believe that humans can create what we want and we can create unlimited food, electricity, or whatever resources we want? Or do you believe that like there's a lack? So I believe that there's enough food, water, air, money, even time for everybody. But we often have these ideas that, oh, I I don't have enough of that. You could fit all the people in the world into Texas. You know, it might not be comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, there is enough, there's still plenty of room in the world for everyone. Mm -hmm. So it's it's getting people to to buy into that abundance mindset because I want to help share that with everyone, which ties into the wealth. So the wealth is 
everyone should have three meals a day, a hot shower, a roof over your head, decent medical care, and good good uh, education. These are basic human rights, and these are things that we should all have. And then that community ties it all together because with community, what are we human beings without our relationships? Like our relationships is our, our superpower. It's what makes us human, and those. I often go back to this uh, comic I read when I was a kid about an evil time machine or evil wish machine. And it it would, yeah, it would take your wish and twist it around. And so one guy wished for all the money in the world and it machine teleported him to this distant planet with a huge pile of gold, silver, and cash. And he was all alone. So what would, yeah, what would that mean if you didn't have the relationships, you didn't have the community? This community is really fundamental to everything we do. Okay, this is hilarious that you just brought this up because right before this interview, I was sitting at the kitchen table with our two youngest boys and you know, kids always have the funniest conversations. And so the 11-year-old asks the 13-year-old, he says, uh, Jacob, would you rather have all of the money in the world or have teleportation powers? And so they were having, so it's funny that you brought up that exact scenario and they were having a conversation about it. Like which one is better to have, you know? And then, so the 13 year old says, well, I'd, I'd have the teleportation powers because then I could teleport into a bank vault and take any money that I wanted. Yeah, that was a movie, a movie based on that. Yes. <laughs> But it's it's interesting, and so then they asked me, Christine, would you rather, um, would you rather be able to run fast or fly? And I said, well, you know, it just depends. Like, what speed am I flying? Um, am I flying at the speed of somebody walking? And if so, you are you know, afraid of heights? Right. Kind of so we were talking about that, and uh, the eleven-year-old says, "Well, I would do the run fast because then I could enter into a race, and I could bet on myself and win because I would win the race." And I said, "Well, you said you wanted to run fast. You didn't say you wanted to be the fastest runner in the world. So what if I get a wish?" And I wish to be the fastest runner in the world. I could beat you. So it's funny that you were talking about this, just you know, a little sidebar. But, you know, it is that concept of, um, you know, what is it that we want to create in life and just abundance by itself or wealth by itself in the absence of community is not fulfilling because, I mean, we see this all the time. There's millionaires around the world that are some of the most depressed individuals because they haven't built their support system around there to actually enjoy. Or, or a lot of them are just jerks, you know. Oh, right, you yeah. know, And they're just, you know, grumpy butts. Oh, and, like me, you know, because I'm yeah. so rich. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also goes back to the, the old, the, the, the classic saying is, is a glass half full or is it half empty? And then money doesn't buy happiness, right? Well, it appears it can. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, when I say it appears it can't, I mean, like, for example, like I'm sure someone living in a three bedroom, big size house is probably better than living under a cardboard box he found on the side of the freeway. You know, it's one extreme to another, but I mean, you know. Well, there are studies done that you need a certain amount of money to be happy, like, you have to have your basic needs met. So there's a big jump in happiness from, say, homeless to, Forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. Then there's another jump from say fifty to a hundred. I don't remember the exact levels, but well, then you get to that stage where you can start to have more leisure time and, and travel and things like that. And then there's another little jump up to about hundred and fifty. But after that, people's happiness does not really increase. 
when they add more money. Right, because once you get above that point, you're looking at other factors for happiness, like what is the trade-off of the money to time and the money to uh, being able to have flexibility and things like that. And so that's one of the things I've been pondering. So Chris and I, we've been having a lot of conversations around financial planning um, within our household as, you know, our business has started to become even more successful and we've started to think about, okay, well, how do we put a little bit away every month so that, you know, the business is helping to build towards long-term wealth for us as well. And both of us grew up with pretty humble means. And so it feels like, it feels like we're changing the tape for what our kids experience in their lives where um, we're starting to model more for them the conversations around, okay, you got your allowance. What are you going to set aside? Because we have vacation coming in six months and trying to help them segment off and trying to help them with starting little bank accounts and things like that. But it is something that we haven't learned until we are adults, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I grew up very poor. I mean, so... Um, we, we, we kind of lived in the scarcity mindset for forever, you know, like it's only so much of this. And when it's gone, we're dead because there's no more coming, no more coming. It's, it's in the road, you know? And then, <laughs> and, and so I was always taught that. And I think in some, in some regards, some government agencies will kind of beat that into like, for example, here in California, we always have these rolling blackouts during the summertime because of energy. Oh, there's not enough energy to go around. And I look up, look up and I see solar panels on everyone's roof and plenty of sunshine. I'm like, huh? Okay. If you say so. (laughs) So, so it's kind of like, okay, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, so with your work, Max, with families, I know that you're, you work on the financial planning side, but what types of strategies and what is your approach to working with families to help them shift from, from that scarcity to the abundance mindset? I would say helping them prioritize because sometimes people don't know where to start. Mm. Should they start saving for vacation, for their kids' college, for their retirement. So as a parent, you're juggling a lot of those responsibilities. Um, education plays a big part as well, because here in Canada, there's free government grants you can get for your kids just by opening up an education account. So even if you don't put any money, you can still get money for your kids. So like uh, in British Columbia, where we are here, any kid between the ages six and nine, as long as you apply during that window, gets $1,200 from the government. And there are a ton of low-income families who never take advantage of that benefit of that free money from the government. So helping people see that. Shifting people to abundance is really just helping them co-create that vision of their future, helping them, giving them encouragement, giving them hope. You know, I I give my clients a lot of encouragement. like I was telling somebody yesterday, well, congrats, you started with $1,000 and now you have 8000 and you did that in the space of a year. So I look at myself really as a coach in, in a lot of ways and, and giving people that encouragement and that motivation. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's really helpful is so people can understand that you're not going to be coming alongside them with a hammer like, oh, well, 
you know, you're only at a hundred dollars right now. That's not going to make a big impact in the future. You really need to amp it up versus being a cheerleader and a supporter and encouraging them to always think through what more might they be able to do as they continue to grow. Totally. And you made a joke between the two of you about judging. Um, and that's something I really trying to do is I try to judge and I try to relate as much as I can to my clients. Um, people come to me with quite a bit of debt sometimes and they're really judging themselves about it. I definitely do not judge them about it. And then I'll share a story about actually, well, I have debt because my kid is um, on the national team for figure skating at 18 years old. Oh, and wow. yeah, and literally it's like three, 4,000 a month in coaching fees, ice fees, hotels, wow. airfare. Yeah. So I've ran up some debts because my wife's dream is to get him to the Olympics. So it's either I kind of squash that dream and then pay down my debt or build up a little debt um, and, and deal with that. So does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because your, your window of opportunity may not align with your window of opportunity for your, your debt to be taken care of, you know? Because mm-hmm. th- things, it's, 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 it's like a thing in life, really, because do we plan for that accident to happen? No. Do we plan for, to break that kid's leg off? You know, maybe <laughs> if they're jumping off the, you know, their bike off a cliff, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe. But I'm saying like things do happen and then you have to like dip into that nest egg and kind of start all over. But the thing I was going to ask you is um, when it regards to like the stocks and stock market and stocks type stuff, um, everybody has been jumping on this whole like Bitcoin and like those kind of things. Are those worth anything? Are they a bunch of like just a, a big fad that's falling apart? It's kind of too early to know. Um, you know, some of the major ones will probably survive, like, and those could be Bitcoin or uh, Ethereum and like, the major names that you know. There's a lot of them that are just kind of worthless. And okay. those are the, sort of the, 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 the sub-penny coins that you you probably know. Right. Um, we'll find out, you know, once it get we get an idea of the regulation and how governments want to treat it, as, um, what it will be like. But, you know, how do people decide something is valuable well they do that by agreeing that it's to get that it's valuable you know uh, indigenous people first nations they didn't think that gold was valuable until a white man came in and started mining their mountains for gold and they realized oh it has a value to to these white people right um the american dollar is only worth something because everyone believes it's worth something and says it's worth something so that that's a really fundamental concept and Bitcoin has value now because people agree it has value and that that will continue. It's still considered an alternative investment to get into coins and, and, you know, this is still quite a bit of risk in it. Once you see like the major institutions, you know, you've probably heard of companies like Fidelity or other fund managers. Once you see them having Bitcoin as part of their portfolios, then you'll know, hey, it's in the, in the big leagues. But right now it's still kind of speculative, so to speak. Is it pretty high risk? Like, say you have a client come to you and says, "Hey, I want to dump like ninety percent of my portfolio into into some kind of like uh, Bitcoin kind of kind of thing." May not even be Bitcoin. Say, say a, a knockoff uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah, something like that. What would, what would you tell them? Well, we go back to this that chat we had earlier about how hard trading is and how hard it is for us to make money at it. So, I really encourage my clients to have a diversified portfolio. And once you've got that diversified portfolio as a base, then you can have your play money, your casino money, and then sure, if you have 100000 take 5000 and then 
put it on your favorite horses and, and see which one will win. Just imagine right in front of you right now, Chris, you're holding a pencil. Could you snap that in half for me? Sure, just snapped it. How my hand? Right. I just snapped it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, and that's what could happen if you invest in one specific stock or one specific coin. You're, you're betting on one horse and that could go bankrupt, right? You could lose all your money. Now imagine you're holding a bundle of pencils with a rubber band around them. Could you snap that in half? Well, I'm strong, but not that strong. So I don't think so. (laughs) Right. So that would be your diversified portfolio. That would be like owning 100 or 200 stocks in in one portfolio. And even if one of those stocks did really badly, it wouldn't affect that portfolio. So that's what diversification is. It's really creating that unbreakable portfolio and your unbreakable assets. And people... Yeah, they, they need to start investing like that. A, a big mistake people make is because we always want a quick fix as human beings, we're, we're looking at how do we get rich quick? How do we get rich overnight? The lottery, and that's man. Why the we lottery take, tickets, man. <laughs> yeah, or those coins, right? Yeah, yeah. Because right. uh, yeah, that's our ticket to getting rich. And what people, the mistake they make is, tr- is t- making outsized bets on those speculative and risky um, options in order to, try to fast track that retirement uh, that retirement ideal that we have of um, whatever the 2.1 kids, the, the house, the rental property, and those travels around the world. So people don't want to hear it, but what people need to know is that investing is really, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, Warren Buffett, we all know him, right? Right. Um, he bought his first stocks when he was 11 and he held on to his investments for decades and decades. And now he's 92 and it's worth a lot of money. And how did he get there? Just by rinsing and repeating and, and doing those, those daily um, and, and, and monthly investments as steadily building his foundation. So is it possible, Max, for a person that typically labels themselves as a spender versus a saver to change their relationship with money and and end up in a place where they can be comfortable for their future instead of just letting the money all pour between their fingers? Yeah, I would just say they have to be open to that initial conversation and then bridging with someone like myself. And once they've gotten to that realization that they're ready to have that chat, then it's just a matter of setting up buckets. Like, you know, when you get paid um, from your regular job, your taxes and your social security, everything is already deducted off your paycheck, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not really missing that money, right? They went to Uncle Sam and it's gone. Well, you can set up your investment portfolio the same, that um, you know, every month when you, when you get paid, you're putting a 100 or 200 uh, way into your portfolio and you won't miss that money just like you didn't miss your income taxes deducted. Right. So it's interesting you say that because my uh, financial planner, we just had this conversation um, a couple months ago because my son turned 18. And so my level of financial support for him has adjusted a bit. And so we were looking at my finances, looking at the whole picture. And she was telling me, you know, if you were to take that money that you were putting away for your son and you were to instead now add that to your contributions for, um, because I'm in education, I have a tax sheltered annuity. She's like, if we were to just take that same amount of money and add it to your monthly contributions to your 403B, you won't even miss it. It's going to help you with your taxable income. 
and you're going to be saving that much more towards the future. And I was like, okay, I'm going to trust you on this. But like, if, if I get my paycheck and it seems a lot different, like I may have a panic attack. And sure enough, because she'd worked out the numbers and knew exactly what it was going to be, I actually ended up with um, barely like $50 less after taxes. But now I'm saving hundreds of dollars more towards my towards Chris's in my future. And it just feels so good because it's like, okay, well, that money, I was missing it all of these years. I was just going to add it back in. And then, you know, who knows what it would have done, you know, bought us some extra gas or, you know, helped pay the mortgage. But now instead I feel like I took it and it has a purpose towards, you know, maybe some dream vacation that Chris and I want to take in the future. I just felt so empowered, but I didn't know that on my own. So it was really beneficial to have an expert that could come alongside me and recommend that. Oh, that's a great, that's a great story. So you took your kids, uh, the money that you've been providing him every month and put that towards your retirement. Right. Yeah. I increased my contributions and because, you know, when I was giving it to my son, it was after tax money, you know, after I got paid now it's before tax money, um, that's being put away. So it lowers our tax liability. It just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, 15, 20 years from now, when I decide to tap into it, it's going to be more than the, you know, couple hundred dollars that I was contributing, which is great. Oh, great. That's the value of working with a coach. Just like if you were, had a baseball coach, you know, they would take a video of how you swing the bat, give you the analysis on that. Um, a coach will help you see things you don't see. So yeah, I always tell my clients, you don't know what you don't know. So I'm here to have going to help you with that. Right. And, and open your eyes to some of the possibilities. That's excellent. So Max, do you work with people only in Canada or are you able to work with individuals throughout the U S and worldwide? Great question. So yeah, in terms of the licensing and legality and all that, I do work with people in BC. So just the, basically kind of like Europe Pacific Northwest, that corner, that region of Canada. I'm happy to, you know, bridge with anyone who wants to have a conversation because I don't charge for my time. So I'm always happy to, to share information. Uh, you can feel free to follow me on LinkedIn, see some of the stuff I, I post there. I also have a newsletter you can sign up for and I keep that fun, fresh and relatable. So kind of like that pencil analogy I gave you, I, I do a lot of things like that in my newsletter and I take out all the jargon and and try to make it funny because I think finance is kind of one of those serious topics. In fact, I remember at the bank when I um, worked there, a lady had an appointment with me and then right after me, she was going to the dentist. So I was like, yeah, you scheduled all your painful things in one day, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Well, there, um, it, so, I mean, it's it's a real struggle because if you look at the divorce rate and the reason that people do split up, one of the top reasons other than infidelity is finances. And, you know, I think I think that so many couples need somebody like you to be able to come alongside of them and help them really shift out of that scarcity mindset. I mean, really, it's, you're saving relationships, you're helping to build futures and generational wealth. And 
helping people to get rid of the shame associated with debt to be able to change their circumstances. I think you're doing the Lord's work here, Max. (laughs) Good job, Max. (laughs) Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, I think a lot of us have our our manuscripts. And um, it's funny, you know, how on talk shows, people will get out and and lay public their whole sex lives and and things like that. Um, But then... If you ask your coworker how much money they made, they'd be like horrified, right? Um, right. Well, sometimes, yeah. Unless you're Chris, who brags about. Oh it my all god! The time. Everybody in my work, they all brag or talk about how much we all we all kind of know what we make, but then everybody kind of like, well, I made this much this year. I made that much this year, and, and it's a it's a game to them. I'm like, oh, whatever. I always look at it as like, if I'm comfortable to live in a decent house, have a nice car, and travel to Hawaii and New York in the same week, I'm happy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Way to brag! Humble brag, right there, Chris. You're welcome. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, so Max, where can our listeners find out more about you and reach out to you, follow you on LinkedIn and all of those things? Yeah. Feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Just my full name, Max Becker Paz. And I don't usually use IG or Facebook or other stuff that much. Yeah. Mostly just LinkedIn. And then my website is there. It gives a really good um, idea of what I do. And that's abundancewealthcommunity.com. And yeah, I'd love for you to sign up for my newsletter. Um, I don't sell anything in my newsletter. I just provide that info and I try to kind of brighten up people's uh, day when they read it. Nice. Is it all on your website, the link to sign up for your newsletter? You betcha. Nice. I'll put that in the show notes of this episode. Just look down and there it is. Well, Max, we want to say thank you so much for being on the show with us today and chatting with us a little bit about your background. We hope that for our listeners, it's helped you to reflect on uh, not just your own current financial state, but your orientation around money and wealth and whether or not you're embracing an abundance or a scarcity mindset. And so Max, thank you so much for these little nuggets of wisdom and we wish you all the best. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. I really loved chatting with Max and I really loved his conversation about like this abundance wealth mindset. I think that it's exactly what we were talking about right before we went into the interview, which is, you know, we can't operate with this scarcity mentality like we don't have enough because then it's going to feel like we're always in desperation. I think that's what you and I have been trying to do is think of other opportunities to generate wealth for our family so that we can just give our kids the best possible opportunity for the future. Well, I have a question about that. When you mentioned about like chasing, not necessarily chasing things, but building wealth and building things. I wonder if the spending gets kind of out of hand 
when you're chasing what the neighbors might have. The old saying, keep it up with the Joneses, you know. Mm-hmm. And, or keep it up with the Smiths. Or whatever. <laughs> yes, however it goes. But I kind of wonder about that. I remember, in fact, I was called out on that in my last house because, or our last house, I should say, because I had the car and sports car in the house and everything else too. But although I did have the nicest house on the block and the nicest cars on the block, and someone said, you're playing, you're just co- kitchen up with the Joneses. I'm thinking, well, I am the Joneses because- I have the nicest stuff in the block. So I don't know how that, oh, that would be. I was just talking about something else. Right. But that's exactly what they're saying is why do you have to be that? Why do you have to have all of that? I, I enjoy it. I don't know. I mean, right, but you I don't enjoy a nice it. house and, you know, why well, I sold the car, you know, I don't have two cars anymore. I yeah, sold so one. that's the thing is I would say when we got together, there was that thread of trying to prove yourself like you made it. And I don't know if that's because of like what you've been through as an adult. And I was on the opposite side where I'd lost so much through my first marriage that I was just trying to rebuild and like stay financially stable. And I'm not like trying to compare us. I'm just saying that when we got together, we had to have a lot of conversations around like, what is this going to look like for us? Because now we're bringing two households together, three children together, and expenses are going to be a lot different. Uh, like, what what are we trying to do? And, you know, so we did like little improvements to the house and things like that. Um, but we didn't, like, we could have bought this house and then been like very frivolous and, you know, put very little down or, you know, tried to, you know, buy new cars with the profits and things like that. But we tried to be super conscientious and put a big chunk of money down on the house so that we could continue to afford it and, you know, look for other opportunities to earn income so that we aren't like mortgaging our life on credit cards. Oh, yeah, definitely. A lot of people do, and especially with the high interest rates and the high cost of living and the inflation and all that, you know, not so great stuff that's happening right now. Yeah. It's uh, it's hard for some people to uh, stay afloat, and and I do know that uh, we're all thankful for our jobs, and we mm-hmm. we do get paid quite quite a lot of money considering. But then you considering the fact of inflation and the interest rates, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's a lot. And I know that some places like in Texas or some places like maybe Alabama or some small places where they don't get they get paid like half half right. it, if we make you know for the same kind of job. You know, it's my parents raised us with this this saying from the Bible and it's like the, for those like to be trusted with more, you have to be a good steward of like what you have. And I'm not quoting it properly, but it's like, you have to be a good user of like, let's say that you're broke or not broke, but like you're living on a really tight income or you have a small income, like, being faithful in the small is what's going to make way for you to be able to be faithful and a good steward when you have more. And it's that same mentality, like people that are in in debt or overspending when they have a small income, those same habits transfer when you have a larger income. And that's why you'll see people that make these really large paychecks. Like, you know, we've talked about the NFL stars that, you know, they'll be destitute by the time that they've retired from the NFL because they get accustomed to a lifestyle. And I feel like there's so much of that in the 
in the American way of life is this like, I don't want to say greed necessarily, but like having it all, quote unquote. And I'm okay with not having it all. I don't want to have it all. I just want to have nice stuff. Well, that's the same thing. <laughs> I want I want stuff to work. I want to turn the car on and start. Yes. Okay. And, yes. And I want to be able to drive it down the road. I want to, I don't have to worry about a flat tire or breaking down. I don't I don't have to worry about like the I don't know it rains and all of a sudden there's leaks in every room of the house. Flooded. Yeah. I want I don't want to worry about that stuff. I want to be able to like have peace of mind that that stuff's kind of like right. taken care of. I and think peace it's far, of mind you know, is different from like living with this well, I don't look at price tags kind of mentality. And so, you know, I've been looking around our house and I've been like very, very grateful for what we have and just really humbled that I, so, you know, in transparency, when we look at where my life was eight years ago and this was, you know, before you and before, well, right up at when I split from my first relationship, uh, my first marriage, and I was like broke. I mean, broke and broken, I guess would be the reality of it. And I thought like, I'm never going to financially recover from this. I am never, I would look in the mirror and I would be so overwhelmed. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get out from this financial mess that I was left in. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what other opportunities I'm ever going to have. Like this is this is as good as it's going to get. And I felt very hopeless. And now I look around and it's like, gosh, man, I mean, it's taken eight years of hard work. And I know for you too, you've gone through a lot and it's taken a lot of hard work and making tough decisions about, you know, when people are buying these big things or going on big vacations, like, not being able to say yes to those things because we have other responsibilities. And now- Or going to a concert, that's $500 a ticket. Right. You know, for a family of five, I do the math on that. Yeah. And so, you know, just for anybody out there that's listening right now that may be in a tight financial spot, like just know that there's hope. There's a way to be able to navigate around that, that there's- opportunities to get yourself onto the other side of it. And we know it's not always easy, but it's going to be worth it. And so, you know, whatever it takes, reach out to somebody, a finance professional that can help you make your way through whatever your financial situation is right now. And, you know, like Max was saying, it's, you know, when we start talking about investing, some people, he said, he, he said it, like people sometimes don't reach out because you know, they are in debt and they don't want to get help starting to invest in things until they get their quote unquote financial house in order. But start small, like start with the cost of a latte, like five bucks and, you know, 20 bucks and 30 bucks. And then it starts to add up. And before you know it, you're going to have this whole different way of being and you're going to help break that curse of generational poverty for your family. Amen. That's, that's great words of wisdom from Dr. Yeah, Christine here. I was there on my soapbox right then, you, right? You are. Hi, Mighty. Well, thank you. And thank you to everybody that listened in today. I really did love talking with Max and I'm really passionate about like helping families figure out how to get on the right financial footing. And so 
uh, please definitely check out our show notes. You're going to link everything in there, right, Chris? Absolutely. And uh, we're going to leave information about my new book for Christine Smith Designs, my Ooh, ebook, and yeah, then, yeah. Um, all of our resources. And Chris, where can people find out more about us if they're interested in learning more about you and me? Oh, yeah. Go to our website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you next, next week. week.